we're going to talk about all manner of prayer today. And uh, where do I get with all manner of prayer from? Wayne, am I good to go? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's from Ephesians 6.18, where at one point it says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And then um, in some versions it says, uh, with all prayer. In other versions it says, with all manner of prayer. So we're going to talk about different forms of prayer. Not different ways to pray, but different forms of prayer. Some of the forms of prayer, which I'm finding can be so helpful to us, man. And so what is expected is that we learn these forms, as in, um, like she's saying, receive this spiritual food, learn it, and then cultivate it, and then regurgitate it and teach others, and then be led by the Spirit into different forms of prayer. Sometimes all of them in a day, sometimes one of them in a week. Regardless. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it actually says that the early church had these four pillars that they operated by. It says, and the disciples continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Not even prayers, and in prayers. So we're going to examine different forms of prayer. And so the first one is... Apostolic prayers. Apostolic prayers. Apostolic prayers. Apostolic prayers. Guys, as much as as much as apostolic prayers, some people say, are those that were prayed by the apostles, I would suggest that we view apostolic prayers as prayers that cause you to break through into new places in God. Most people call prayers that were prayed by apostles Paul, Peter and a couple of others, they call it apostolic prayers because the apostles prayed it. So had they been teachers, they would have ended up calling them teachers' prayers. But, but the point is, we should view these prayers as apostolic, not because apostles prayed it, but that may be part of the reason, but view them as prayers that cause you to break through into new places in God. So let's look at two examples. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. And when we read this, we usually skip it because it almost seems like Paul can never speak in short sentences. So Ephesians 1, at least when he speaks English, he can't. Uh, Ephesians 1, how is it in Greek? Does he speak in, even longer in Greek? Yeah. So many questions I have for Paul when I get... Uh, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And there's a comma after that, so we'll stop there. The point being, guys, that Paul says, ask for spiritual, ask for spiritual eyesight. How often do we do that? Not very often, surprisingly. Ask for spiritual eyesight. That's one of the one of the prayers that this church should begin to cultivate. That Father. We, I, I come this morning and I ask for spiritual eyesight. As in, may my eye, may the, may the eyes of my heart, may the eyes of my heart be flooded with light. May the eyes of my heart be flooded with light. May the eyes of my heart be flooded with light. And what kind of light are we talking about? Very simple guys. May the eyes of my heart be flooded with light. What light? The light of revelation. The light of revelation. This is supposed to be a legitimate prayer that the church or you are supposed to make. I mean, look at 2 Corinthians 4 6. 2 Corinthians 4 6. You know, I still am. Um, Always amazed that we have a 
Sunday school happening. Oh, for years, man, we didn't have anything like that. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's Paul trying to say there? He's trying to say, guys, he's taking you back to Genesis. And he's saying, remember when everything was dark and God said, let there be light and light shone in the darkness. He's saying, we need to begin to operate according to how God used to. Where you ask God, Father, could you flood the eyes of my heart with light of revelation? What does the light of revelation do, guys? It gives us greater knowledge of God. That's what it does. Begin to ask for it. Begin to ask for it. Light that illuminates God. Light that illuminates God. And why do you need to do that? Three reasons why we need to do that. One, you will see exactly what he is calling you to. Two, you will grasp, this is according to Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, you will grasp the bend it out, you get too excited, you're overpowering it. Okay. <laughs> Just comes up in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> Thanks, man. You will grasp the immensity you will grasp the immensity of the way of life that awaits you. And third, you will know the immeasurable, unlimited, demonstrated power of God in you. Yeah. Okay, so here's how we are working this equation. Apostolic prayers, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, Colossians 2, 9, we'll go to that. And what are we supposed to ask? We are asking God for spiritual eyesight. What is spiritual eyesight? We are saying, oh God, may my eyes, may the eyes of my heart be flooded with light. Why? Because I, what kind of light? The light of revelation. Why? So that I might see exactly what I'm called to, so that I might grasp the immensity of the way of life I've been called to. Man, if someone told me in 1988 of the kind of life that awaited me as a Christian, I'd have said, no way. It is, it is the coolest thing that can happen to a human being. And so many years left, man. You've only just begun. The immensity of the kind of life that he's calling you to. And the third reason is, you will know the immeasurable, unlimited, demonstrated power of God in you. That's what Paul is saying. Therefore, he says, don't you want to know all these things? Therefore, Paul says to the church in Corinth, guys, ask for spiritual. Ask for spiritual eyesight. Ask that the eyes of your heart be flooded with light. Same thing he does in Colossians 1.9. Go to Colossians 1.9. Matt, am I good? Yeah. Colossians 1.9. Colossians is after Philippians. Colossians 1.9. And it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's one of the shortest sentences Paul has written. 
the point being guys, in Colossians 1.9, he changes it. In Colossians 1.9, he says, guys, pray, pray Marcus, pray Jacob, pray Chris, that your mind and your will is attuned to God. What a prayer, man. Father, can my mind and my will now be attuned to you? Why? Very simple. So that I learn how God works, and when I do that, I learn how to work here on earth. Attune my mind and will to you, Father, this morning, because once I know how you work, I'll do the work that's given to me here on earth well. That's one reason. Second reason, Father, once I attune my mind and will to you, I will persist in what I do with strength and joy. I will persist in what I do with strength and joy. Boy, do I need it. I, I was just uh, at one at 1.15 last night, I was just uh, thinking to myself that at present I'm doing six sermons a week. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope that it is like that eight months from now too. And when I pray like this, where I attune my mind and will to God, He gives me the ability to persist with strength and joy in the things He's appointed me to. Because when I begin to see how He works, I begin to work a certain way here on earth. Be it sermons, or be it helping people in the hospital, or be it teaching people at school. Different things that we've been appointed to. Guys, on one hand, pray apostolic prayers, and then there's another way these same benefits can be yours, which I was so surprised to see. I kind of knew it, but I didn't know the connection. These very benefits that I've just asked that we pray for also come into your life when you are connected to the apostolic intimately. So on one hand, you have these apostolic prayers that you pray on a daily basis, but to, but to root it or to found it or to anchor it, also be connected intimately to the apostolic and you will see these things founded, cemented, rooted. Go to Ephesians 3 verse 1 to 11. Ephesians 3 verses 1 to 11. Ephesians 3, 1 to 11. Fascinating scripture, man. Ready? Here goes. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, for whom? For you. How the mystery was made known to me by what? By revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel... What was I made? I was made a minister. According to what? According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light the whole thing again. For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Guys, what Paul is saying is, on one hand, pray this prayer. Ask for spiritual insight. On the other hand, be founded, be rooted, be cemented in this by connecting to apostolic grace. I've seen it in my life, man. I've seen what's happened because I connected to Mike Scantleberry and Eddie. You know why Teleos is so different from other Bible schools? Because of the apostolic input that is in Telios. Connect to apostolic grace. And the very things that we will be asking in prayer will be cemented, rooted, founded. It's like you learning uh, how to be a nurse. And that's great. You've learned everything. You asked your professor and the professor taught you everything. But now what happens is as soon as you go to VGH, uh, one lady with specs will come about and her name is Heidi Rose Schmidt. And... <laughs> 
and, 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 and they'll say, she is going to now found what you have learned. And so you become an apprentice learning from a person who is doing the same thing that you're doing, but has done it for a few years more. Or percepting, yeah. So that's how it works. Any questions, guys? Any questions on this? Any questions? Cool. Next one. So, so guys, uh, here's what I suggest. Uh, Anne and Anne, as in both the Anne's, you can r- write tiny lines, if you want, on these different prayers on Facebook as you see fit. Just like we did with the other things. Remember the whole heart attitude? You don't have to take turns. If you send something, just put it up on Facebook. If you have anything else you want to add to these different kinds of prayers. Okay, so Anne and Anne will do it. Okay, priestly prayers. That's the next next thing. Priestly prayers. I mean, if you want to see a priestly prayer, go to John 17 and read the whole chapter and you'll see it's called the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays priestly, P-R-I-E-S-T-L-Y. Priestly prayers. John 17 is a sample. So here are four elements of a priestly prayer. One, guys, model a lifestyle that is uh, that is consecrated to God. If you want to pray priestly prayers, you have to model a lifestyle that is consecrated to God because those prayers then have quite an effect because the Bible says the fervent prayers of a righteous man. There is a need to separate myself and consecrate myself to God. And this is what Jesus says in John 17, 19. In John 17, 19, he puts it this way. He's talking to his father. He's praying for his disciples. And he says this, I'm consecrating myself for their sakes. Look at that. Look at that man. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so that they will be consecrated in their mission. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so that they will be consecrated in their mission. I met with a dad yesterday and his son. They're not from this church. And the dad was telling me, I was talking to my son and telling him not to lie. And as I was telling him that he shouldn't lie, I realized that there are lies in my life. And I decided that before I tell my son again not to lie, I better stop lying. So that I set myself aside as a man who speaks the truth so my son can learn from it. You consecrate yourself so that you can help others walk a consecrated life. So priestly prayers require that. Where your lifestyle is separated and distinctly God-fashioned. Second, priests or priestly prayers should have empathy, man. Because priests shared commonality with who they represented. Hebrews 5.1. It says in Hebrews 5.1 that a priest was always chosen from among men. Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17 it says, and Jesus had to come down as man so he can share our weaknesses so that he can be merciful. So in priestly prayers, one of the things you need to cultivate is empathy. Where you empathize, not sympathy, not pity, empathy. Empathy means not saying, oh, sorry, oh, pull in, pull in. Not like that, but knowing how you feel and being able to connect. Empathize. So that's an important part of priestly prayers. And not to be like Job's friends. Man, those guys empathize for seven days and then they rip the guy apart. So not like that. So empathy is vital. The third thing in priestly prayers, guys, and where does this apply? When you pray for somebody else. When you pray for somebody else. One, make sure that you uh, have a consecrated lifestyle as you pray for someone else. Two, empathize. Three, guys, priests were supposed to offer gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of man. Malachi 2 verses 5 to 7 outlines three qualities a priest would have. A priest would be a messenger for God. A priest would guard guard the knowledge of God in his lips, meaning he would keep the knowledge of God pure on his lips. 
And three, people would come around priests to seek instruction. So, even as you start praying for people, know that you don't intercede according to their need. You intercede according to God's will for them. I loved what happened here last week. I had spoken to Maurice and Renita about their house. I told them to come and talk about it. I called them up for prayer. And as they are standing here, I am saying to you as a church, guys, they have a Feb 22nd date. The house needs to be sold by then. Uh, otherwise, they won't have uh, money for the months ahead. And uh, I remember Marcus shouting from the back and Sue shouting from the front that their source or resources don't come from whether the house is sold or not. Their resources come from God, who is provider. And that's what she said today during the time of worship. That she said, I, I heard God saying he's a creation, creator of? Sorry? Maker of heaven and earth? Supplier of all my needs. And I was telling you to pray that um, their house sells and money comes. And you, instead of praying that way, came up with the idea that it's not the house that provides for them. It is God who provides for them. And then you guys prayed. I think three of you prayed that way. That's called interceding as God wants, not interceding according to need. Very often when we intercede, we intercede according to the needs of people. We empathize with their needs, but we intercede as God directs. This is why in Malachi 2 it said, uh, I made a covenant with the sons of Levi as priests, that instruction may be sought from them, that the knowledge of God may be guarded by their lips, and that they be messengers of God. That's what priestly prayers are like. And then the fourth part of priestly prayers, guys, is, um, is this amazing scripture in 1 John 5, 16, 17. 1 John 5, 16, 17. And here's what it says. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death. You will pray and God will give him life and he will grant life to all those whose sin is not one leading to death. I've read that before, but I've, I can't remember the last time uh, I did it in the last one year where someone is sinning and the sin is obvious and God is saying, hey, did you see Elmer sinning? So here's what you need to do, Jacob. Start praying to God for Elmer and God will give him life if it is not a sin that leads to death. What a quick way of helping people out of sinful situations, man. First John 5, 16, 17. It cannot be clearer. There's no Greek needed there. If you see Jacob sinning, pray for Jacob and God will give him life. As in God will cause decay to go away because decay comes with sin and instead give him life. Priestly prayer. We don't have to take sin offerings now. We send the incense of prayer. First John 5, 16 and 17. Use it. Intervene. I pictured this in my mind where I would say this and I thought either James or you will ask it. So... James isn't here. So, I already had the answer ready. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Life is unfair sometimes, eh? Guys, one of the sins that leads to death is 1 Corinthians 11.30, where, where the Bible says that when you do not discern the body, as when you do not recognize each other, when you do not discern the body, it says some of you fall ill and some of you die. So that's one sin that leads to death. Another sin that leads to death is uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 11.30. And then, oh, it is almost 11.30. Yeah. And, and then the second sin uh, that leads to death uh, that we see demonstrated in the Bible is the Ananias-Sapphira story in Acts chapter 5. And I would suggest that the basis for what happened to Ananias and Sapphira is in 1 Corinthians 3.17, where it says that if you destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you. Nowhere else does it say that, eh? 
you and I have no idea how precious this bride or the body of Christ is to God. And he says, if you deliberately go around destroying it with strife, with dissension, with evil, with lies, with deception, then I will destroy you, as in I will take you out. And then uh, another um, uh, perhaps way of looking at sin leading to death is when someone says he's a Christian but practices sin. Not, Not occasionally sins, but has chosen to practice sin, which is a rejection of everything he said he is. A tree shall be known by its fruit. So if there's a consistent practice of sin for years in a man or a woman who says he's a Christian, we have the right to question. Because Jesus is not cultivating bonsai trees. He's cultivating trees that bear fruit. Not pretty looking trees. Not suggesting, it's, I would say it's saying it very plainly. That when, uh, it's surprising, First Corinthians 11.30, Paul is saying some of you have fallen sick and some of you have died because of the strife that you have caused within the body. Because everything the Spirit of God represents is to bring the community of Christians together. The, his body was broken so that we may be put together. Now, if that is the work Christ has done and we are disemboweling the work he did then it doesn't mean that you may lose your salvation but you will live the rest of your life saved in heaven removed from the earth I would go and speak to the person and say um, uh, repent or otherwise as it says in the book of Revelation I have seen this and this in you. Repent. And the person needs to now repent. Yeah. Anytime there's this kind of dissension in the body, first you go and talk to the person. Second, you take elders and go to the talk to the person. Third, you bring it to the church. And fourth, if he still doesn't listen, you treat him like a pariah. Church discipline. All of you signed the covenant. You didn't know what you were getting into. Third, the third type of prayer is supplication, guys. Supplication. It sounds like such an archaic word. Supplication. And yet, supplication carries a sense of petitioning God. Guys, we don't beg God. Eh? If you looked at the song that Chris was playing, um, uh, he's our father. We don't beg. When we beg, we, we undo his fatherhood, man. I mean, my dad was so imperfect, but I don't remember begging. Begging seems to say, you've got a hard heart and you're not a real father. But you can petition God. And in petitioning, sometimes you can cry out to God. Crying out to God. It's it's a normal part of praying. In Jesus' life, you saw it in Hebrews 5.7. Hebrews 5.7. Here's what it says. In the days of his flesh, as in when he walked here on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with what with loud cries and tears to whom to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence he was heard because of his reverence cry out to god man jesus did it and it depends sometimes we cry out because of sorrow sometimes we cry out in need sometimes we cry out in distress Jesus cried out at, uh, so regardless of whether you are at Lazarus' tomb or whether you are standing on a mountain overlooking Jerusalem and its desolation that awaits you it, where Jesus cried out saying, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. Or whether you are in agony at Gethsemane where this huge thing is confronting you. The Bible says cry out, supplications, petition, fervent prayer that is sometimes expressed with tears. Sometimes expressed on bended knee. Sometimes expressed with fasting. And sometimes expressed with blood. What do you think was happening to Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane? Where the crying out ended up with him sweating blood. Which you and I haven't experienced. Because the Bible says, none of you have resisted the point of shedding blood. 
But Jesus did. And then here's the other marvelous thing, guys. Where sometimes, even in our crying out, we don't have words. And the Holy Spirit comes in. In Romans 8.26, it says that the Holy Spirit groans for you. Imagine the kind of God we have, where He pours the Spirit into us, so that when I run out of words, when I don't even know how to express, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit begins to sigh and groan for you, presenting your request before God. Not that you are groaning, the Spirit of God groans for you. The words actually say, the Spirit Himself goes to meet our supplication and pleads on our behalf with unspeakable groanings too deep for utterance. <sighs> what a God, man. Philippians 4, 6 says it. Uh, be anxious about nothing but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Make your petitions or your supplication known to God. Ephesians six eighteen talks about it. Where it says, bring your petitions to God for yourself and for other saints around you. Because sometimes what happens in churches like ours is we get so declarative and prophetic, prophetic which is very important in terms of prayer that we forget the whole aspect of groaning and crying because we get too victorious very what about uh, <laughs> that's part of prayer man I want to recover that in my life good point very good point and I'll answer it right now Matt when does it get into whining? When, guys, it's uh, uh, one, it, it comes out of a heart that is reverent. The Bible says, and Jesus cried, but it was with reverence, as in there is still respect and awe for God. So one of the things required is reverence. The second thing that is required is a heart that trusts God. And the third thing required is fervency that does not spill into anger or resentment. Because very often a fervent heart if it is not guarded, can spill into anger and resentment, where you're crying, saying, how come you're not... No, that's not the kind of crying we're talking about. It's not like a childish crying. It's a crying that is fervent, but is trusting of God and shows Him reverence. Very clearly, the scripture talks about that. Uh, reverence, fervency, and trusting God. Reverence, fervency... It's earnest prayer. I've written it this way. It is earnest prayer that issues out of a fervent, trusting heart that reveres God. Reveres God. It is earnest prayer that issues out of a fervent, trusting heart that reveres God. Yep. Yeah, very good. A whining prayer is usually a prayer where he is not father anymore and it comes out of the heart of an orphan who feels abandoned. Well said. The next one, guys, is praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. Praying in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Paul says, I'll pray with my spirit and I will pray with tongues. In Jude 24, it says, build yourself up and pray in the Holy Spirit. So there is a form of prayer where you pray with tongues or pray in tongues. So when you speak in tongues, guys, you are speaking to God by the Spirit. And it's a form of prayer and it's also a form of praise. So when I speak in tongues, I'm speaking to God by the power, but empowered by the Spirit, and I'm speaking praise or prayer. And so it's an immediate communing with God where your Spirit, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, enables you to pray. It's an immediate communing with God where Jacob's Spirit, supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, enables me to pray. And the content is outside my understanding. The content is outside my understanding. So why pray this way if it's outside your understanding? It is perfect prayer because one, 
It bypasses the limitations of my mind. It bypasses the limitations of my mind. Why is prayer difficult at times? Because we don't know how to pray. Don't know what else to say. Don't know what the will of God is. Don't know where to go with it. It bypasses the limitations of my mind. So that's one reason I pray in tongues. Second, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Man, if there's anyone who should empower me in prayer, I'm sure Mariana's kids won't mind. We're not on camera, are we? No. Okay. Kyla might mind. That's okay. Um, It's perfect prayer because one, it bypasses the limitations of my mind. Two, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And three, guys, and this is such a cool reason. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God. And so he aligns my prayer with God's will. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God. So he aligns my prayer with God's will. And so the prayer I'm praying then is perfect. Because it bypasses the limitations of my mind. It's aligned with the will of God. So the prayer I'm praying is perfect. So Paul says, in public, I'd rather pray five intelligible words. But what do I do now? I pray with my mind and I pray with my spirit. I do both. So that's praying in tongues. It is perfect prayer because one, it bypasses the limitations. And these are quite nice. It bypasses the limitations of your mind. Two, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, just saying God is the one who is empowering the prayer. And three, it aligns my prayer with the will of God because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. First Corinthians chapter 2. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and so he aligns this prayer that is beyond my understanding with the will of God and I'm praying perfectly. Hey, how's it going in there? Good? Guys, I might go a little long today but we'll finish before 12. The next kind of prayer is worship prayers, guys. Worship prayers. Worship prayers. Worship prayers. Revelation 5.8. Revelation 5.8. Love, love this scripture. And when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Actually, they sang three new songs. One of them is, Unto him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. So, worship prayers are prayers that issue forth from worship as you lift your eyes to the throne the Holy Spirit begins to show you what is happening around Jesus where all the action is. And you see things from his perspective. So next week when we worship corporately and during the week when you worship on your own, which I suggest we do every now and then during the week, may your eyes be lifted to the throne and the Holy Spirit will begin to show you what is happening around Jesus, where all the action is anyways, because he is the beginning and the end of everything. And now prayers begin to issue from you. I'm assuming there are some of these points that I'm making you agree with, right? Because it's been uh, great, because you were so loud in your agreement, it was beginning to scare me. It is so exciting, okay. (laughs) Guys, so... Uh, You see things from his perspective. Uh, And now, here's what happens, guys. Prayers begin to spring forth. Uh, For instance, suddenly prayer of adoration. I'm sure it's happened to you. Where you're walking on the dike, or you're walking near the airport, or you're walking near the mountain, and you begin to marvel at what you see around you, and you begin to praise God. It just comes out. It bubbles. It's a prayer of praise. What do you think the praise of his glory, what do you think doxologies are? Doxologies are praise of his glory. When we say, let's have the doxology now. What does it mean? Let's sing something to the praise of his glory. Jude 24, a doxology. Now unto him who is able to keep us from 
falling and to present us blameless before him. Be all honor and glory and power. Where prayers come out of you in adoration. And remember, whenever you adore something, you become like it. Whatever you adore, you become like. Whatever you adore, you become like. This is why if you adore idols, you become like idols. Deaf and dumb. The Bible says that in Isaiah. They have become like their idols. You become what you adore. And so these are prayers that spring forth. So sometimes it's adoration. Sometimes it's honor. And sometimes haven't you caught yourself blessing God? (laughs) You'll be walking and you start saying, I bless you Father, I bless you Father. Prayers of blessing God. We are the only people who have the marvelous privilege of blessing our God. It just pours out of you. Guys, these are things we experience. We're just putting them under categories so that we can be intentional about them. That's what we're doing here. Then there are prophetic prayers that come during worship. Elijah in 2 Kings 3.15, here's what happens. Jehoshaphat is there, Ahab is there, Elijah is there. And Jehoshaphat is a decent guy and he says, Elijah, could you prophesy? And Elijah says, get me a minstrel or get me a musician. And so a musician comes with a guitar and he starts playing the guitar and Elijah starts prophesying. There's always a connection between the prophetic and the um, and worship. That happens sometimes. Second Kings three fifteen. Uh, they, I think they used to call it harp then. Yeah. And so in worship, guys, here's another another amazing um, chapter. It was during the time of the of King of Zion. And um, um, I, I, I saw a vision in which uh, the heavens were thrown open. And I saw the Holy One of Israel seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And there were angels around him, seraphim, with six wings. Two covered their faces, two covered their feet, and with two they flew. And smoke filled the temple. And I heard these angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the temple shook. And I said, Woe is me, for I have seen the glory of God, and I am undone. And an angel picked up a coal from the altar, and he came and touched my lips and said, You are now being made clean. And as I stood and marveled, I heard a voice saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And I leaped up and I said, send me. Again happening in the context of worship. We're in the process of worship. You begin to hear the voice of God, guys. You begin to see the action around the throne. You begin to see things from his perspective. And you hear things that you would not otherwise hear. Prayers that, these are called worship prayers where in the process, things begin to happen. Awesome, eh? Awesome. Two more and we are done. Guys, there's declarative prayer. Declarative and prophetic prayers, this church seems to have gotten a hang of, which is why, by the way, I took some from that. eh? Just so, full disclosure, man. Derek, can I grab a glass of water, please? The declarative prayers. Guys, declarative prayers is praying the will of God from the written word or from what has already been revealed. Declarative prayers is praying the will of God from the written word or from that which has already been revealed. And so it generates it generates God's purpose. It generates God's purpose or pleasure. It generates God's thanks, man. It generates God's purpose or pleasure. It executes sentence or judgment. Psalm one forty nine. And it imposes restrictions or limitations. It imposes restriction. Or limitation. This is what it does. 
it imposes it imposes limitations or restrictions uh, Heidi could you help that lady there please yeah so it generates or calls forth his purpose it executes sentence or it imposes restrictions and, and so that's what declarative prayers do it is a work of the spirit guys it's not a work of our mind sometimes what happens in churches like Acts 29 is we begin to declare out of our own bravado where yes father uh, we will see the dead rise and we're very excited about it but it, it needn't necessarily be generated by the spirit so we got to make sure that our declarations are generated by the spirit otherwise it becomes Pentecostal bravado so it's a work of the spirit not of your mind not a bravado I mean Jeremiah 32 17 Jeremiah is told to buy land in the middle of a war and look what he's saying our Lord God thou hast made the heavens and the earth nothing is impossible for you so would you now rise up and do signs miracles and wonders and guess what in Acts 4 24 you hear an echo of that in Acts 4 24 the disciples are being threatened and they are praying our Lord God look at all the threats that are coming our way but you are powerful you can stretch out your hand to do signs miracles and wonders and suddenly there's this declaration that's coming out of the mouth of Jeremiah and thousand years later coming out of the mouth of some of the disciples gathered together in Jerusalem in a hostile environment drawn from the word one echoing the other it's 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 the counsel of God that is already revealed or that's written that is now being declared that's another form of prayer and the last one the last one is prophetic prayer prophetic prayer which we have discussed in the past so I'll go over it quickly prophetic prayer reveals the counsel of God it's it's not what has already been revealed it reveals the counsel of God while you're praying the counsel of God is revealed and it prepares the way for God to do something in a life, in a situation, or in lives. Let me say that again. Prophetic prayer is when the counsel of God is revealed. While the prayer is happening, the counsel of God is revealed. And in the process, it prepares the way for God to do something in your life, or in the lives of people, or in a situation. For example, um, it was during a time of prayer in 2006 that we first heard God say that this church has a stake in Australia. It was during a time of prayer that Jason and Mariana's life were forever changed and a new pathway that God was preparing for them began to open. He, he didn't come up for a prophetic word. He came up for prayer at the church in Vernon. And then in the process the prophetic word came out. He just said, just pray. I think that's what he said, just pray. Yeah. So the prophetic reveals the counsel of God. So here's how it works, guys. Prophetic prayers are spoken in the natural realm. They have an impact in the spiritual realm. And they affect change in the natural realm. Prophetic prayers are spoken in the natural realm. Things begin to happen in the spiritual realm. And it's physically manifested again in the natural. So, the prophetic prayer over him was, seven months from today, you will leave this church. No one else heard it. Only he heard it. Not this church. I'm talking about his last church. And so that is spoken. Things begin to happen in the spiritual realm. Seven months to the day, he resigns and leaves. Not aware that he was, it was not like he was deliberately planning the word to happen. Circumstances conspired, is the tenderest way to put it. So that he resigned and it was seven days to the, seven months to the day. And then the rest of it happened. In the, in the natural realm, he was told that you will know where you should go because it will be like a baby is kicking in your 
boom, that was in the natural realm. In the spiritual realm, God began to form what he was going to do. What was he going to do? He was going to go to Regent. And so he comes and tells Mariana, Mariana, I think we should go to Regent. And every time he says, we, I need to, we, we should go to Regent, what happens? Mariana is now pregnant with Kyla. Every time he says, we, I think we should go to Regent, Kyla starts kicking in Mariana's womb. Imagine, something is spoken in the natural realm. God begins to work things in the spiritual realm. And how does he know he should go to region? Because the Lord had said, when I tell you what you should do, it'll be like something is kicking in the womb. He didn't know was oh no, this was months before that. I had nothing to do with it. But, no, meaning, uh, yeah. And so, it was something that happened. Where, the na- where you say something in the natural, it's wrought in the spiritual, and it happens in the natural that's how it works so guys we become then the voice of god on the earth we become the voice of god on the earth prophetic prayers allow us to become the voice of god on the earth and what are we doing we are sowing god's seeds into lives and into situations we become the voice of god on earth and we sow god's seeds which begin to spring it's seeing the end from the beginning And it positions people in God's designed pathways. It positions people in God-designed pathways. It's positioned Jason in God-designed pathways. Now he's, he's building a household in New Westminster. Three and a half years ago, never occurred to him. They were going to retire in Vernon. Eric and Jason had decided that they were going to stay in that church in Vernon for the next 30 years. Now that's an impossibility to begin with in any NAB church, but they thought so. (laughs) So, It stands for non-aligned brotherhood churches, so it's okay. So, in both, uh, here's my last point guys, in both declarative and prophetic prayers, it must be that the spirit that quickens you. It must be the spirit that quickens you. J- Jesus said this in John 6, verse 63. He said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Both declarative prayers and prophetic prayers, the spirit has to quicken you. Okay, so this John 6, 63. Wayne, can you stop the thingy? Okay, guys, so John 6, 6, 